This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. My colleagues and I recently visited the latest initiative by Yehuda Lazarus and Fingertips for Africa in Proteus South in Soweto. It was a hive of activity as we handed out school uniforms and rulers to the kiddies and food to the community. Yehuda joins me now to tell me more about what he's has been doing over the lockdown. Yehuda, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Yehuda, we last spoke in June 2020 when the lockdown, I think, was at its worst and um, the implications of COVID hadn't yet become clear, but many, many people were struggling. What has your journey been? It's been a complete whirlwind. I mean, we started off as an organization years ago on a very minimal scale, little projects here and there, nothing major in the perspective of what we do now. And when we spoke, we had basically just launched fingertips properly and hit the ground running. It was a couple months into the lockdown when we had originally spoken. At that point, we were just doing, you know, meals here and meals there. And we were under so much stress, we we didn't even know what, what was plotting. And it just kind of grew from there. At the moment, what's going on is we're dealing with different infrastructures in the community. So how do we uplift the communities and not just give them meals? And how do we create resource centers and the ability for the kids to have a safe space? You know, just after we left Protea South, for example, they went into a into a so-called lockdown because there was a protest where nine people, I believe, were murdered and the kids weren't allowed to go to school. Now there's nowhere safe for them to play and there's nowhere safe for them to be around to that's why, and then some of their parents do manage to get out to go to work, you know, if you leave early enough in the morning or whatever that may be. And now we, we kind of feel like we have a responsibility to these kids to make sure that they have a space that's safe, not just that they're going to get food. So we look at building infrastructures next to the kitchens where the ladies that are in the kitchen can also become guardians to kind of watch over what's going on. And that's why whatever we do kind of just folds into an ever ever going project on project on project you know what was amazing is you guys came with us and then sherry called me the next day and was like you know what we need to do something for the girls there's an amazing group that was doing dancing when you arrived and that group is 72 young girls who are in an abstinence program from youth all the way up till they finish school and they basically they teach them about self-respect and morals and make sure that they finish school and not just do they finish school that they're able to have pride in themselves you know so that's that's a huge thing a, a traditional zulu culture is that the man picks or actually the chief picks the woman that he wants at the big ceremony they did that dance for us actually at the event and after he's picked the girls that he wants the com- community men come and pick the woman that they want or the young girls that they want and she turned around as they were doing that dance and lena and she said do you see that dance it's my favorite dance it used to be the dance when the when the tribal chief chose the woman and now it's a dance we do when we say we're ready to choose the man and that's a complete mind shift So Sherry called me and said, like, what can we do? And we're looking at different options to bring in sanitary pads, you know, uh, reusable for the girls so that they're actually able to have something and not miss school and, you know, continue this 
beautiful program that they've got going and just enhance it and allow it to grow and more girls to join because there's things like this that allow them to not miss school, abstinence teaching and self-respect and morals and responsibility for oneself. And I think that's amazing. And that's what these community kitchens land up bringing in. And that's what's amazing about them because we keep branching off to different projects. You heard it, you mentioned Lena. I'm sure you found a lot of heroes throughout this lockdown. And I wonder if you just want to tell, tell me a little bit more about Lena and others like her. It's actually crazy. Lena and Aleta are two sisters that live in this house. The house doesn't have electricity, doesn't have running water. And like you'll remember, all around is all shacks. Uh, it's a very impoverished area of Soweto. You know, one of the worst that we've seen in, in an area that's so close to civilization because it isn't civilized in the sense of, and I mean that in a respectful way, in this respect that they don't have water, they don't have electricity, and it's not a comfortable way to live. There's shacks there that don't even have space for windows because they're built so close to one another and it's just a door frame, you know, and, and that's really not a, a fair way. Now, Lena and Aleta, they actually came to us through Marilyn Basson, who called me and said, I've got these incredible two sisters. And a little bit about them is basically they, they take care of the community. So they have a two plate, they had a two plate stove, and they would just cook up whatever food they had and call whoever they wanted, you know, whoever didn't have food and come and eat with them whenever they ate food. So if they had enough food for pup, they would cook enough and just share with who they could. And that really got to me because how can you have two women who are unemployed who have nine kids, I think, if I'm correct, in their home already that they need to feed, okay? And all they're worried about is the community around them. You know, to me, that, that's more than just a hero. That, that's like remarkable females in our communities. And when we came there, we got them a three-plate gas stove and gas cylinder and massive pots. And with literally... Within days, they went from feeding 15, 20 kids at a time to feeding two to 300 servings a day, if not more, depending on the day. And it was literally within, within a couple of days that they just shut up. And they've done it with pride. You know, I'll call them and I'll say, ladies, I just want to let you know, I've just gotten a donation. I've got some soup powder and I've got extra cup and rice. And they say, no, Yehuda, you gave us last week. We have enough until next week. Not, will you keep it for us for next week? Let us know what you have next week. You know, like, that's remarkable because when you don't have and someone's offering, you just automatically, a lot of the people just just give it to us and we'll put it in our storeroom because they don't know what's coming next. And these ladies are like, we've got faith. We've got a muna in you that you will take care of us. So if you've got, rather give it to another kitchen and worry about us next week. And like, that's remarkable. It is truly remarkable, Yehuda. And one of the images I remember most clearly, if I had to think of an image for me that defined the beginning of the lockdown, it was an ENCA report of you handing out stuff in, in Yeovil. Yes. And, and it, it, it was very new. The whole concept of the lockdown was new. People were suddenly cut off from food. And there was almost like a scramble. And I, I think you were standing on top of your, your truck at some point yes. uh, with a microphone. <laughs> I was. You know, trying to create a sense of calm. And and like two years later, have you managed to, because the need at some point must always outweigh, the demand must outweigh the need. It does. I think 
there's two things. I'm standing on the truck. I mean, we've learned so much. We've learned so much about like the communities itself. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I do a handout in Alex every week where I go to different houses and we allocate individual moms and, and, and young men that are taking care of their families that don't have any food or trying to go to school, orphan-headed households, and we, we deliver hampers to their door. You know, and what happened was some of the volunteers in the community came with. So I jumped out the front of the bucket because I didn't want these young girls that were volunteers to help us to have to sit at the back of the bucket. And I sat at the back of the bucket. And when I left, I realized afterwards, I didn't actually portray a very comfortable feeling for the people of Alex, because here I was this like white man on the top of a bucket overlooking them, you know, while everybody was inside the bucket. And you know, we've got to be so careful with that. And I've learned so much from that, that like I can stop and adjust and say, you know what, next time we need extra transport and we need to do it in a, in that kind of environment. And we learn as we go. That time when I stood on top of the trailer, we were actually being mobbed at because people were coming from all directions. And that's the problem. Even now, when we go in, there is access to food, but there's no money for food. And it's like, what do we choose to use our money on? So everybody comes lining up. Sorry, I, I detract you. You asked a question there. I detract a little bit. No, no, no. Carry on, Yehuda, because I'm finding it absolutely fascinating. No, so so we've learned a, a lot in the communities, and we've also learned how to readjust and to understand the different the different needs in the communities, and it just it becomes an ongoing an ongoing project. You know, we, we walk into a community, for example, and we help these two young moms, both under the age of 20 they both have babies they're living in a room that is probably maybe a queen size bed could fit in there they've got a single size bed and everything is on top of the bed and they push it to the ground where there's not much space for at night they've both got a baby each they've also got other children you know we walk in there trying to give them a food hamper and we realize when we walk out of there we've got to try find them bigger accommodation and try and assist with jobs and you know, it becomes an ongoing project. And that's why, like, when people say, what can we do for the communities and how can we help? There's so many ways you can help. You know, there's a, a lady who's donating material now so that the sewing academy can start, re, you know, reigniting in the communities, bringing more ladies in, and we can start teaching them how to make scatter cushions and different things to, so that they can bring in an income. But it's all these little projects that actually make such a difference. You know, inorganic market, which we've taken you guys to before, there's a lady there who was part of our sewing academy and we actually graduated her with a machine and she calls me yesterday and she says, please will you let me know where I can get more material because I'm actually running out of material. She's making blankets and she's, she's hemming people's clothing and she's got a full business out of a shack in the middle of organic market and all we did was give her a sewing machine. You know, and it sounds like crazy, but someone donated a machine we didn't just give her a machine. We gave her life. We gave her purpose. We gave her an opportunity for an income. And, and that's what I, I find fascinating. And I'm grateful for everyone allowing me to do that because it's from their donations that we do it. You heard it. Well, when we were in um, Protest South, we were also giving the kiddies school uniforms. And it, it would look to all those teachers that are teaching them that those kiddies come from Yeshiva College because Yeshiva College donated generously. So, so all the kids actually have the same uniform. They all have a, a yeshiva uniform. And, yeah, and a lot of the kids will they'll they'll take off the badge and will put a badge on top. You know, so they they put a 
they'll stitch on top of it. But it was incredible. I mean, these, this is uniform that was just sitting in, in the storeroom. There was leftovers that were um, lost and found. And literally from lost and found in Yeshiva College, which was an amazing a donation from them, you're able to give a kid a reason to go to school. Without uniform, they're not allowed in the entrance of the school. And that kind of pressure on a mom or dad that's not working is tremendous. I think you also have a challenge then to our community, Yehuda. We do. We do. We really want to be able to, to help these kids more. We want to be able to create more resource centres and not just hand out food. We want to be able to say to the kids, come and garden, come, come to a resource centre and learn arts and crafts, learn cultural activities and have a library. So if the community for us can get involved, whether it's to donating towards the Protest South Community Centre that we're trying to build right now, or whether it's coming together and sending us a message and saying they've got extra school uniform, they're going to collect from the kids in their grade, school shoes that they're no longer wearing. You know, I always say when winter comes, mix and match socks because people wear two, three pairs. So it doesn't matter if it's a mix and match, but don't throw them away. You know, like if you want to create an initiative, we'll help you create one, but come and do something. It doesn't have to be financial donations only, you know. It can be library books. It can be anything. You heard it. Do you ever suffer fatigue? I used to say we'll never hit burnout. The need is so great, but it's actually you do. I think to be honest and fair, you do. You get you get to a point where you feel exhausted and you feel like you're, you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you, you start to withdraw, you know, and I was feeling that for a while. And a, a clear example is, you know, yesterday after you get multiple requests from communities and you, you're just giving, 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 I just left the office and I said, you know what, Jackie, let's go back into the community. We've got hampers that were donated from one of the cans. I mean, it was from Amanda Shapiro. And I said, let's just go hand them out. I want to be there to hand them out. And as you walk in, you actually just see the need of the community that is so great that it, it reignites a sense of like, not that you don't deserve to have fatigue because it's natural, but it reignites this feeling of importance of what you do, that there is such a need and that we need to find a way to continue to give. And when I walked in there yesterday into organic markets to hand out these hampers to these individual moms that we know that are suffering at grannies, you know, some of them are in wheelchairs and don't have access to even leave their, their shack. So to get a food hamper or to go to a soup kitchen, they, they can't. And when the ladies came out, a couple of them were wet. And I said to them, why, you know, why is your clothing wet? Like, you're going to get sick. It's not, you know. So she said to me, the lady who runs the kitchen, she said, no, these ladies, they actually have a hole in their shack and they were trying to fix it. You know, so that's why they wet. And that's when I realized as much as I may have fatigue sitting in my office, which is the size of four shacks, I realized straight then and there that it reignites the passion and it allows you to continue because everyone's got fatigue. We've got fatigue in our in, in interview. You get to a point where how many more interviews am I going to do this month? Like, I just want the month to end, you know? You may enjoy that, but it's like, is it another one? Am I going to have the right questions? And it's the same thing. We walk into the community and we just see this, like, everlasting need. But what does make it great is that when we see what what our giving does. So when we see the fact that like, for example, yesterday, I turned around and I gave a hamper to one of the ladies that helped in the kitchen. And she immediately took the hamper, divided it in half and gave it to Jackson's mother, who's a young mom, I mean, an older granny who doesn't, who's in a wheelchair and doesn't have the ability to go out and to, to work, obviously. And she's got grandchildren that she's taking care of. 
And she divided up this parcel that we gave that isn't big enough to really have multiple families living off. And that's where you see like, no matter what you do, they appreciate, the appreciation is there and the continued giving in the community, even when we're not there, continues. And that's a success. You, you heard of, if anybody would like to be in touch, what should they do? They can get hold of us on any of our social media platforms. That's Fingertips of Africa on Facebook and on Instagram. They can also call us on 066-286-0488. That's 066-286-0488. Jackie runs our office and she will definitely be able to get any messages across to us. Alternatively, on email at fingertipsofafrica at gmail.com. You heard a Lazarus, thank you very much. I'm feeling inspired. Uh, so I look forward to visiting your next project. We look forward to having you guys at the next one. Thank that you was so. you heard a Lazarus, the founder of Fingertips for Africa.